Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's mentally yours from Ellen and Yvette. A focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Welcome to Mentally Yours, a weekly podcast on mental health issues brought to you by Metro.co.uk. My name is Yvette. And I'm Ellen. If you've missed any of the recent episodes from Ellen and I, then you can go back and listen to everything on iTunes. Just go to the podcast store and search Mentally Yours. You'll find gems like this. When you're in highs and lows, or when you were in highs and lows, mm-hmm. were you cooking and stuff during that period? Uh, when I was really, really ill, yeah. I, I couldn't, no, I couldn't work, yeah. And that's another thing I think I want to sort of uh, do with my blog is um, sick pay. You know, when people are so, um, you know, if you, bro- you know, if you break your leg and you're off work for six weeks, yeah. people don't, you know, sort of bat an eyelid. Yeah. But with mental health, because it can reoccur, yeah. a lot of people, um, you know, have to match their work. But I was self-employed, so I could sort of match my work to, um, to when I was feeling well. This week, we've got a special episode... A longer dive into the pool of drink. Our guest this week is Paul McMullen. He's an ex-alcoholic. For Paul, a quick drink on a fun Friday night post-work can lead to an extremely dark Monday morning. Today we're going to talk alcoholism, the darkest moments, the AA, and asking for a tenner every time. I've always had a drink. I come. I, it's very stereotypical, but I come from a big Irish family. That alcohol is the centre of um, life, really. I mean, everything revolves around a drink. And as a child, you're introduced to it quite young. It's, um, it isn't seen as a stigma or um, something wrong. Just, I, I joke about that I used to get baby sham at children's uh, christenings and weddings and things like that. So it was never, um, it was never a taboo thing. And I was brought up in an environment where I... Coming from Ireland originally, moving over to England in the 70s, all my family and all my friends were Irish, and we all had the same lifestyle. So to me, it never seemed wrong, you know. And so I couldn't wait as a 
a teenager to get into a pub. That was my ambition. I, I just, I used to love the pubs. And when my mum and dad would take us to a club or a pub, I was just, that was the, the smell of it, the, the cigarettes, the, you know, it's just, you know, and that, that's, talking to other alcoholics, that is the triggers at an early age, that this fascination and this obsession with alcohol and, you don't see it as an upset, but it's just to me it was that dark. What was going on behind that door? I wanted to be part of that, and my dad was very much a guy that take us to the pub. When we got old enough, he couldn't wait to buy his sons a drink, and I was drinking probably in pub about age of fourteen. Back then, it was a lot easier to get. You'd find the pubs that would serve you, and everyone knew my dad and a lot of my family, so I could not be getting and sneaking and things. I like, sit at the back, and um, yeah, and it. You say, where did it become a problem? In an alcoholic's mind, it never is a problem. It's first a problem for everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's when I, grew, I, I kind of left, left school and started to get English friends and English girlfriends. And being, uh, their family never drunk indoors. They might go out on a Friday night, have a few drinks and come home, and that was it. They'd never drink at Christmas... But they'd never, and they used to look at my family and go, oh, your family drinks a lot, don't they? And I go, no, they don't, do they? No, you drink a lot, don't you? And I go, no, I don't. Because, and that's when, it started, that's when it first started seeing that maybe my lifestyle isn't compatible with other people's. And like any good um, trainee alcoholic, you find like-minded people. And... Um, this is this is the if you got if you look at your look at your friends you find friends who who do the same things as you you like the same things you know and um, I started to find friends we all had a drink uh, and I and, but then it was always kind of like it was never it was never an every I say every day I'd have a drink every day but it'd be a can of lager when I got home or a few beers after work you know and I'd have a bottle of wine maybe and. I got married quite young, I mean, I had some kids quite young, and um, I'd we'd get a bottle of wine in on a Saturday night, so I wouldn't really drink a great deal. Got four cans in the fridge, and I'd have one every night. And um, eventually that relationship come to an end, and um, I suppose, suppose the, 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 it's, the, it's the lifestyle. You know, it just suddenly... Uh, it's just, it's just fine. I think drugs takes a part part of it as well sometimes. I mean, there's uh, the prevalence of cocaine in society suddenly accelerated, I think, a lot of people from being potential problem drinkers to really sort of getting this under the skin a little bit because cocaine's something that can make you drink all night. Yeah. And that's what I think a lot... Suddenly, I, I didn't feel... I didn't like... seeing alcoholics don't like being drunk. You know, there's this misconception of a... A guy sitting on the park bench drinking himself. So you, most alcoholics, you wouldn't necessarily know they're drunk or had a drink. Very, the tolerance levels becomes a lot higher, you know. And um, but you'll you'll know the ones the ones that stay to the end of the party, the ones that always seem to be the last ones to leave. They leave when the drink's all gone, you know. They'll go somewhere else and find it, that kind of thing. And with Charlie and cocaine and things like that, you suddenly, you, you know, London become a 24-hour city. You know what I mean and. You could find an off-license or a cab firm that would go and find an off-license and bring it around to you. And um, that was my life for 10 years, you know, everyday drinker, weekend binger. And um, I still never thought of it as a problem, though. <laughs> I, had, um, the, the, uh, I had another relationship come to an end, 
and uh, my two my two sons um, were in their sort of early teens. The first one come to live with me, and the second one then come to live with me because the mum couldn't deal with them anymore. And it, to them, it's great. Can I go to a party? Yeah, of course you can. My mum stopped me going to parties. I'm not going to stop you going to parties. And I'd let them go to parties, and I'd pick them up, and you know, do you want a few cans to take? Yeah, no, yeah, go off you go, that kind of thing. And they thought it was great, but they started to see, I think, the difference. They started to see the problems a little bit, and they could, I suppose, they could they could see what their mum did and what I did was completely different. What their friends' family didn't do, and, you know, their, their mums and dads have got decent jobs and nice places to live, and my dad dances on tables in pubs. Do you know what I mean? So. <laughs> That's when it... And they kind of like the first ones to alert me to the fact that maybe I'm drinking too much. How did they bring it up? Um, my mum and dad are both alcoholics. My parents both died from it. And I think they saw in them, they saw me... They saw my future. They, that's what they kind of... And I, I think I started to see that. See, the crazy thing is, with my drinking, is that my mum and dad were both alcoholics and they both admitted it very early on. And I said I'd never become like them. You know, and that's the, that's the frightening thing about it, you know, and I did, you know, and then circumstances led to one day me, you was, there's a time when you have an epiphany, a, a light bulb goes off in your head, and for me I had a situation with a friend come around the house and I owed him some money and he looks at me and just said, you've got to sort yourself out, and I was like, how dare you, do you know what I mean? And that was the moment I suddenly realised, you know what, I do. I need to, uh, and I had enough. You see, I just always promised myself I wouldn't drink that night, but I always did, you know. I always promised that I'd have only a glass of wine and I had a bottle of wine, and then if I had a bottle of wine, I'd have another bottle of wine, and I'd become an expert at sneaking in the house so the kids wouldn't see it. I was an expert at getting rid of bottles, hiding bottles, you know. Um, yeah, and that's how, that's how it sort of developed from there. And um, even up to that point, I didn't really consider my... I just thought, if I could stop drinking, I'd be fine. If I could stop drinking, I could be fine. And when you stop drinking, that's probably when the start of your problems, really. Because you then have to address why is it... Why are you doing this, you know? And a lot of the feelings I had as a child, you know, suddenly surfaced up again. And that's when you sort of need to sort of, like, find your groups. And I went to AA. That was my my inroads into sobriety and it worked brilliantly for me it doesn't always work for everyone some people can find it a little bit uh, gaudy uh, but it's down to how you want to I think it's a program that allows you to take what you need from it I mean I went to my first meeting and I looked around and saw all these things about God and I thought oh God I've gone to the Christian AA do you know what I mean I'm not going to get out of this one kind of thing what, what's it actually like AA because I think people have this, this idea that it's just group of people sitting around in a circle they never get they never portray it right on tv very rarely have they ever portrayed it right on tv you, you go to a room there's a few signs up some literature around there's someone there to greet you as you walk through the door they always give you a hot sweet drink because when you stop drinking for the first time there's a lot of sugar and alcohol and you it, you get a bit of a sugar crash so you keep your sugar levels up sweets it's always jaffa cakes it's never a donut Always Jaffa cakes or chocolate biscuits, and I actually thought that it was a like a mandatory requirement that there should be Jaffa cakes. Every and I, <laughs> I love a Jaffa cake. Um, some of them are in semicircles, some of them are just rows of chairs, some are just down the sides. Um, you never tell them how long you've been sober, because we're only sober a day. That's the thing. That's the great thing I learned. Is that it's only for today. 
to what's gone beyond we do we do acknowledge it and we do nod our heads towards it but so you kind of and when you speak you say my name's Paul and I'm an alcoholic because admitting your problem is your first step it's that kind of acceptance uh, there's a difference you can admit it and then accepting it is the next stage in that that you accept that you're, you're powerless over alcohol and um, they're great they're brilliant you there's the there is a there's sometimes you can get a little bit there's a little bit of needy people there's kind of predatory men sometimes and you know that not not in sexual may are looking for someone to sell to save kind of thing uh-huh. and uh, you have to just you have to look around and what I did I looked around and I saw a guy that I wanted his life I I identified with him and this is the key they always say look at the the um, don't look at the differences, look at the similarities and identified of his life and where his background, where he'd come from and, uh, you know, this guy was great and he was he became my sponsor and um, he took me through the steps and he was there at the end of a phone and that's the big thing you learn, it's all about group therapy and then you learn about the illness itself, you know, because going back to the mental health thing, I think a lot of people think alcoholics are just um, it's not the drinking is the symptom, but it's not the uh, the underlying issue. You know, it's about changing how you feel. You know, and without realising it, you know, we all do it in different ways. You know, you might buy yourself a new clothes or a new item for the house, or you might have a bit of chocolate, or you might go and eat something. It's physically changing how you feel, and it's trying to get rid of that malady that lies within your soul that I thought I'd got rid of as a child. You know, I had a lot of issues. When I was growing up, I still have, you know, chronic sort of low self-esteem. You speak to any alcoholic, and we're all, you know, I've got lower, more lower self-esteem than you. It's almost a battle of who's got the low. You know what I mean? And uh, the joke is that, you know, I never win because I'll always come second. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, yeah, and that's what you do. It's, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a support group. You know, how it started off was, um, was a guy called Bill W. in America who was an alcoholic who was, managed to stay sober for so many days. And he, he just needed to talk to another alcoholic. And so he rung up the local hospital and said, is there anyone you know who's a drunk? And they said, well, it was a Dr. Bob. And he went and spoke to Dr. Bob. And Bob, Dr. Bob was drunk. So Bill W. wanted a drink. Dr. Bob was drunk. And they then noticed for the four hours they talked together that neither of them wanted to have a drink. And they called thought, hang on, there's something in this. And they uh, played around. They wanted to find someone else and get this idea going. And I think the first, I think the first person they got, they got a guy. They went and see him. Uh, they didn't have much success for him. And then they went and saw another person. They didn't have much success. I think the first success was a woman. But what they didn't realise was that all the failures, they hadn't realised that them two hadn't drunk. And this is the key to it that you by helping others you help yourself it's an, it's an inc- the weird thing about AA and, and is it's an incredibly selfish program that requires you to be selfless because at the end of the day the main person that's most important is your sobriety that must come before everything but you can't get that sobriety unless you give it away and help others that makes sense. It does. It's complicated. It's very, I didn't it's know very that. profound, isn't it? But it's yeah. true. By helping others, and you find any support group, it's the same process. By talking to only another person who suffers what you're suffering can truly understand what you're going through. 
you know, and I think to say another alcoholic knows exactly what you're going through. You know, you talk to a non-alcoholic and they'll tell you, go, oh, yeah, I, I don't really drink spirits. And, and they'll tell you about the times they've maybe gone out to a wedding and maybe done something a bit stupid and, do I need to go to AA? And you think, no, not really, you know, you're, you're all right, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So, yeah, it's, um, yeah, and that's what it is, it's just a room. You can go along to open meetings just to have a look one day. I think so many people, unless you're an alcoholic, you will have no idea what AA is like at all. Like, I just had those TV stereotypes and that was it. Someone stands up says, my name's Bob and I've been, I've been sober for 400 days and everyone claps. It doesn't happen like that at That's all. That's literally what I thought it was. And you can go to meetings and never talk. There's guys I know that have gone to meetings and never open their mouths, but they don't drink. You know, so it's all different. It's all different. But it's the same principle for all... I mean, it's spawned a lot of other... You know, you've got Overeaters Anonymous, or you've got NA or Cocaine Anonymous, and, you know, there's, there's even an Anonymous Anonymous in America, guy, people who get addicted to a bit going to Anonymous <laughs> meetings. <laughs> um, it's the same process. It's this thing about talking to someone else who really understands your problem, your, you know... It's like trying to talk to a pilot who's complaining about how difficult it is to fly a plane. And you'd be like, I'm sure it is. I mean, I have no idea. Mm. Yeah. What else have you found um, that's helped you on the road to sobriety? Um, meditation. Learning to be grateful. Um, we're, I'm pessimistic by nature. I'm an optimistic pessimist. I always think things are going to get better by learning not to dwell on self-pity. And the best thing I learned was that it's only for now, you know, and um, there is a spiritual side to things sometimes. And uh, it's that kind of hand in hand. In your, I'll like become quite um, fixated on an issue of some part of my life, maybe, or something else, you know, and um, let that become the problem problem you know and it's about this kind of handing it over you stop you know what it's this learning to stop worrying it's a real big key to it learning to speak to people i very i still find it hard to not to converse with people i don't really know but learning to speak to like-minded people in edinburgh this year it's quite tough edinburgh as i've already mentioned to you before and you know you've got a lot of pressure on you and it can be quite a lonely place and i've when I realised what I was doing wrong, it was that I hadn't talked to someone. And a friend of mine that I know is in the rooms wasn't there that year. Um, so I went and found a meeting and I found some like-minded people. And 20 minutes later, oh, I feel much, so much better. You know, and I think there's a, there's a lot of things you can learn from the programme, like what we know, like self-analysis and we do a lot of that. And every day I kind of analyse what, I've done wrong in a situation and um, especially like in relationship I don't try not to dwell on what you've said what did I do in this what, what was my part in this do you know what I mean trying to get your side of the street clean and it really does it does wonders it really helps you mentioned meditation um, how often do you do that and how do you do it I still do a J job, and when I come home from work, I like to sit in my room, my front room, perfectly quiet, just still, just for five, ten minutes, just um, enjoying the silence, really. Um, 
I went to a lot of different groups of different types of meditation and you try and find one that works for you, something like the chanting theory or you know, the focus one. I just like that complete and utter stillness, the quiet, nothing. Sound of the traffic and all that just blends away and it's just really, really nice. When I first become sober, I, my eyes opened up a little bit to nature um, and I'd find myself going to the, this park near my woods, Shooters Hill, which is, you can really see all of London. And just sitting there, and one thing, God, this is beautiful around here. You know, I've, all these years I've been in dark pubs and things like that, asleep most of the day, and just enjoying the nature and just uh, just calmness, finding an inner peace kind of thing. And there's little prayers and things that you can kind of do. Over, though I'm not religious, but you, they do work. You know, just to. Is there any advice that you could give to someone, like if you've got a friend or a relative who you think's an alcoholic? Uh, is there anything that they can do, or is it? very much something that they have to come to terms with themselves i think i think one of my best advice is don't enable them uh, i think that's the, the big i mean there's a lot of sick relationships with alcoholics um especially when they get into a long a lot, quite a long distance into the marriage kind of thing it's almost like a control thing so they, they want them to stop drinking but they they don't they they want to kind of control them but they want that they don't want the consequences i think you should try not to enable them and it's really only you can make the decision to stop drinking you know i know you've got intervention groups and you can take people to rehab and you know if that person truly truly d- doesn't submit to this they won't stop you know and it's got and i'll be honest it's an awful awful uh success rate you know it's something only like only about 50% of people who go to a meeting will be there at the end of the week and of that 50% you can then go to 10% will be there at the end of the month and of that 10% maybe only 10% will be there a year later you know and then only 10% of that lot will be there five years later it's an ever diminishing number you know and it's a horrible thing it's a killer I've lost friends in AA that picked up a drink again it's learning not not to drop your guard but if you have got a concern a bit of literature um, trying to find out, you know, what is the, what, why is this, you know, and are they aware of what they're, the effect they're doing? But really, be in there when they make that decision. If you can, if you can stomach it, mm. you know, what I mean, sometimes, and sometimes you just need to leave that person, you know, because there's nothing you can do to help that person. You've done your, done your bit, and sometimes that's the wake-up call. Know, a lot of relationships need is that suddenly like being told this is you know you need to do something about it but even then that they can that can happen a couple of times before they finally finally kind of uh, um, submit and accept is a problem it took me weeks and months to accept you know that see, it's a big thing being told not to do something for the rest of your life you know, and so you have to break that down into something that's manageable. Mm-hmm. And when someone told me, you just don't have to have a drink today. You can have one tomorrow if you want, but try not to have one today. When you get to tomorrow, worry about tomorrow. Mm. And it's that day at a time that really helped me. Because when I heard someone say they've been sober for 20 years, I was like, I don't think I'm going to do this for 20 years. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And then at the end of the meeting, I heard about just doing it a day at a time. And I'm like, oh, yeah, day at a time. You know, and it's when you start to see your life improving. As I said, ten years. I'll be ten years sober on June the fourteenth, June the fifteenth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, yeah. So, and in that ten years, I've got married. I've got a job. 
that um, I'm quite happy there with. Uh, I started stand-up comedy, uh, which I love doing. I got married. I bought a house now. My kids are growing up. My kids love me. You know, I've got a car. You know what I mean? Silly things like that, do you know what I mean? I've got money in my bank. I've got no, no debt. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Anyway, so I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a... But I can't drop my guard. Do you know what I mean? That's a, it could be tomorrow. But I'm not having a drink today, so I'll worry about tomorrow when it gets here. You know, so... But so it is, a, it is a mental health issue. You know, so, I mean, there's, there's um, a lot of people... Um, there's a lot of depression after it. You know, you're taking away your crutch, you know. I don't think people should be frightened to go and speak to their doctors. Did you? Did you speak, did you speak to I your doctor? I didn't, no. Mm. I, about four weeks, I was really trouble, having trouble sleep. And then my sponsor said, just go speak to your doctor. So I went to my doctor and I said, look, I've stopped drinking. Because um, my doctor had noticed that I had a few tests and some of them were off the chart. And I said, I'm really having trouble sleeping. And he gave me some um, sleeping tablets for seven days. And that got me into the routine of sleeping. And perfect. You know, so don't ever be afraid to speak to a professional. Um, be wary of, like, wacky ideas. And, yeah. You know, there's a, there's a, few, other, there's a few other things out there. There's some people who try to do the control drinking. Uh, I've seen a lot of... Some people are successful at that. Uh, I've seen some people... There's a tablet you can take... Yeah, it's sort of like it just um, it kind of um, makes you feel a bit sick, kind of thing. And yeah, and there's another thing from America. There's there's a load of quite quacky things out there sometimes. You know, some guy said it was about this uh, enzyme deficiency that we have that produces this and produces that, and this is why we can't drink. And you think, oh wow, really? And if we can replace this enzyme, we'll be fine. And you realise it's the drinking is just the symptom. Okay, you know, it, it could have been gambling, it could have been shopping, it could have been all other a whole host of other things. You know what I mean? So you do see people stop drinking and suddenly find they pick up an addiction somewhere else. You know, yeah, my mum and dad become addicted to doing shopping and uh, gardens. Their garden was like Kew Garden. It was beautiful. Obsessed over that. Yeah. So they, some people substitute, some people, sex addictions, and it seems to be another popular sort of. They're just called men, really, aren't they? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but yeah, there's that. Um, some women just suddenly find themselves getting a lot of debt because they're substituting. Um, they suddenly go and think a pair of shoes changes the way you feel. I've got a nice new pair of shoes on. You know, I've talked to a few um, people, and hey, one woman seemed to spend a massive amount of money on new lingerie because it made her feel lovely. Do you know what I mean? And it was like not realising this is... It's the same thing. You need to underlie the problem. And I think there are, like, socially acceptable things to be dependent on, like, buying shoes or gardening. And then there are ones where it's like, that's not okay, like, drinking or doing drugs or stuff like that. Some people start taking marijuana as a substitute. Some people start doing pills. You know, other people start going to um, LSD. Do you know what I mean? It's just the game changing that way they feel, you know. But to me, I mean, I'm a success story, really, for today. I know a lot of guys that have um, given up, but I know a lot of guys have done well, and I've seen their life, and I was promised a life beyond my wildest dreams. If you asked me that 10 years ago, and I would have said that's a big house, uh, a flash car, and loads of money, and now a life beyond my wildest dream is peace of mind. I wake up every morning, and I can open the letter without worrying if it's, you know, the brown ones, you know, the ones you know think, oh, or the ones that, you know, this is not a circular. 
I open them up. What's this about? Do you know what I mean? Straight away. You know, and that's that's something that you can't buy. Yeah, that's huge. I know it is. It's brilliant. You know what I mean? And so, but there's dark moments. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sugarcoat everything. There's moments where you're really done. All, you know, your your first thing is the what this needs is for me to get drunk. You know what I mean? But you've got your tools, you ring up people, you speak to people, you know. Comedy got me out of the house. That was a great thing for me. I can, I was, I come very, not reclusive, but I had no need to go to a, a, a bar or anything like that. Uh, my partner, my wife now, um, she still drinks, she goes out of her friends. I find it in situations a little bit awkward. But when you start doing comedy, you do five minutes in the back of a pub, you know, and I was worried about more was about my five minutes than everyone else was getting drunk because they're all nervous and it kind of helped me a little bit mm. I've got a wide circle of friends all over the country now which is you know, amazing you know and I've got people I know on Facebook that see me in shows and you know and it's, it's great how do you deal with those situations where alcohol just is a thing? So the typical ones, I suppose, are, you know, after work drinks, someone's leaving do, or like a wedding. Um, basically, there are situations, aren't there, that seem it's socially acceptable to have a drink, or it's almost yeah. like someone looks at you funny if you don't have a drink. Oh, yeah, I mean, that is the hard bit. I mean, people don't, we are a nation of drinkers, and we, we look, people who don't drink with... Uh, Distrust. I mean, as young ladies, you're probably told by your own mother never to trust a man who doesn't drink. When I first started trying to go out occasionally with friends, you, you get some very strange stares if you're drinking a soft drink. You know what I mean? Because, you know, I used to come up with, I've got a toothache and I'm on um, antibiotics. Mm. You know, and I, I had, I used to look up, like, low-level illnesses. Really. <laughs> What's the best one you came up with? Oh, I've had knee infections, joint infections, I had an ear infection. Um, yeah, just a whole host of... Uh, I, when I first met my wife, I told her I wasn't drinking because my mum and dad had just died. I had. Do you know what I mean? So I wasn't lying. Uh, they both died within a couple of days of each other. And I said, oh, since they died, I said, it just really put me off it. You know, and it was like, oh, okay, no problem. That's what then, but then eventually I had to, I've got to confess, do you know what I mean? And that was one of the hardest things to do because her face just dropped. And it's like, what? Do you know what I mean? And it's like, Look, I know you're going to have to go away and think about this. And she did. And it was like a couple of days before she got back in touch and she had a thought and talk to people. And she said, well, you know, you've been honest. Do you know what I mean? What more can you want? Do you know what I mean? And, and it's the funny thing is when you stop when I first stopped drinking, my first thought was, how am I going to celebrate my daughter when she gets married? Mm. You know, it, she was eight. <laughs> oh no, she wasn't. She was uh, twelve. Do you know what I mean? And you kind of like, what's well, that's not the right thought. And my, my wife then she thought the same thing. Well, if we ever get married, you're not going to be able to toast the wedding. And when we did, I had sparkling apple juice. Do you know what I mean? So um, I just I'm on, I'm open with people. I tell people I don't drink. I don't. I don't go steaming and say I'm an alcoholic. I tell I don't drink at the moment. Some people become quite pressurising and say, you can always say, I'm driving. And then and you can say, look, I've got zero tolerance to people and take the moral high ground. Or eventually my wife will pre-warm friends of hers. He doesn't drink anymore. You know, and to don't offer him a drink kind of thing. And they're normally quite good. Some people forget. We bought a house recently and we must have had about five bottles of champagne as a gift. Do you know what I mean? My wife's, woo! Mm. <laughs> Where's my present? Yeah, so she wouldn't have got me chocolates. Um, yeah, but it's hard. I mean, that's the thing. It's a, it's a, we're told it's, you, know, you can't have a good time without a drink. You know, we are bombarded with images of everything. 
you know, and it, the advertisers have got us hook, line and sinker from the way we look, the way our hair is, you know, to what we eat, how we eat, you know, what you drink. You can't have a good time unless you have a Bacardi, you know what I mean? The only time I really miss alcohol is when I go on holiday. Mm-hmm. I really, I, I gave up smoking as well seven years ago and I used to love a cold beer and a cigarette on the beach, you know, and that's... And I can't have either. I don't have an even now. So, uh, so sparkling water is my saviour. Mm-hmm. Anyone that um, is struggling uh, for alcohol, I recommend ice cold sparkling water because it gives you, especially ma- a man who likes a guzzle, pint of lager, it gives you that kind of uh, and that sensation, and it's nice. But you find a lot of alcoholics who drink sparkling water. I don't. It's because syrup. Um, soft drinks are very syrupy and sweet and sickly. You know, funny enough, you go to something like Spain, um, they do uh, a lot of adult soft drinks, like it's cast bitters, it's uh, a child will go, Ooh. but it's a very bitter, it's almost like Campari without the alcohol in it, it's that kind of aromatic herby, and they're great, they do this burnt orange Fanta, which is like, again, you wouldn't sort of like a child, turn, but it's like, oh, this is more of a grown-up drink kind of thing, you know, and you go to, you go to Spain, they don't, they've got no issues of, you know, not drinking. I go to my, my daughter works as a, a waitress in a restaurant, and every time I go there, they still bring me up a, a Kia Royale. And, and like, she's like, damn, like, she's told them all, do you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, it's good. I enjoy them. I enjoy, I, I enjoy myself, really. But, um, yeah, it don't, you've got to, see, you can't become a, you can't, you can't become a recluse. This is about a bridge to live in. I think any, any mental illness, any illness like this is a barrier to you living a normal life and you need to find a way to get into that normal life and normal life is socializing with people and and it tells us when we first start that we will be in situations where we're not anti-alcohol we just know we can't other people can have a good time but we can't we lost that was taken away from us we can't safely drink they always say one's too many and a thousand's not enough so you have to find your moments. And when you're in, in, what I learned as well is that when situations require it, I have to remove myself from the situation. And that goes from everything, from work to confrontations, things like that. If I'm unhappy, remove myself. And so I'd go along, say hi. I have a rule now that if people repeat the same story to me, I'm off. Because I know they've had you know that the one who tells you sort of thing or the or the man who wants to tell you of the of how hard he is and you know and how he's going to do this to such and such and he's going to do that you think i'm off but generally if someone repeats the same story to you the second time that's a good time to go i'm an incredibly self-conscious guy and alcohol allowed me to be kind of gregarious and uh put a drink inside me and I was the most charming guy and funniest man in the room and it took me a long time even I find like a situation where I don't know people like this is really terrifying but um, I do uh, my job's a trainer I stand up and train for a company called ABA and uh, so I'm used to standing up in front of people talking but inside everything's churning up the, the one thing I miss I miss a lot of my old friends because I'd love to sit back and chat with them but if they admitted I had a drink problem they had to admit themselves they had a problem so they were very dis- very dismissive of it one or two weren't one or two and I still stay on friendly terms and talk to them I, I meet up now and again uh, just to see how I'm going I kind of like it's good to see where I could be you know 
because their lives are chaos. They're still drinking. They would never admit they've got a problem. They've got chaos. I've got a friend who won't drink when he gets indoors, but when he's outdoors, you know, doesn't drink during the week. Yeah, so it's a chaos. You know, it's, it's, um, it's a horrible disease. You know, it's a real horrible, with a real high mortality rate. You know, that's the thing about it, people don't realise. And the thing is, it's the most popular drug in the world. I think I know it's the second most popular. Coffee's the most popular drug in the world. You know, and you think everyone drinks. You know, people don't look at it as a drug. It is a chemical drug. It chemically enhances your mood. It's the perfect drug. You know, people don't realise that there's no other drug that... It, it's the drug that does everything you want it to be. If you want to go to sleep, it'll send you to sleep. If you want to stay up and be friendly and chatty, you can stay up. If you want to be depressed and cry, it's perfect for that. If you want to f lose your libido, it's the perfect drug for that. You know, whatever your mood you want it to be, it's everything you want it to be. That's why it's so popular. That's why it's so common, you know. But I'm not anti-drinking. You know, I, I worry about people sometimes, and you know. I, I got like they say, got, gay men have got the gay dar. I've got the alky dar. Do you know what I mean? I can spot them a mile off. Do you know what I mean? I, I let them know that I'm an I'm a recovering alcoholic, uh, and it's surprising the amount of people come to me. Very surprising. That's the thing about it, and that's what I say to anyone. If you've got a family or member or you are concerned about, just see if you can find. There's loads of help for them as well. Alanons are great. It's for it's for partners of alcoholics to help you deal with what, how you have to deal with it. Um, and then there's a support network so you don't feel like you're on your own. There's Alateen, that's for children of alcoholic parents. That's the support network for them to help them get over the, 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 what their parents, because parents can sometimes do horrible things when they're drunk. Uh, and then if you can just get another alcoholic to talk to them, just something might just... That's what it is. It's that little thing in your brain that suddenly twigs. You know when you've done something you shouldn't have done. You know, I mean, alcoholics don't realise and they need something just to turn that little on. And they get it on and go, bang, that's it. You know what I mean? So. You mentioned you had, um, what's it you called it? An, an aldar, an alcohol dar. Yeah. Being able to sense other alcoholics. What are the signs, do you think? Um, it... It's more of a it's more of a personality trait you see in someone. You know, it's a uh, you see someone who's quite shy suddenly open up. You know, that kind of someone who's who doesn't. You know, who's, when you've got some, I bet you've got someone in work that's very kind of shy. But as soon as you take them out a few drinks, they suddenly they're a completely different person, and it's because they're out of the environment. They won't say it's because they had a few drinks. It's because they're out of their environment. Um, when you notice people um, where we work sometimes, my, my, one of my, oh, but he's not there now, he was an alcoholic, that's how I got the job, my, my sponsor worked there as well. Um, you spot the, the patterns, you see, like the, uh, the Monday morning, maybe late, the uh, blaming everything else, you know, like, and the, uh, the mad excuses. It's, you know, like, why they need to borrow a tenner. You know, and it's you know, sometimes like some of like, any chance I can borrow a ten off it till Monday, you kind of go, yeah, no problem, like that. But when they go, oh, you're never going to believe what's happened. They have to feel the need to get this kind of like. I saw a friend one day. Um, I was working outside, and uh, I saw him walking up. And I goes, oh, I used to drink with him. And I said, this bloke goes, if he sees me, he's going to come over, and I bet he asked to borrow a tenner. 
He went, right, I goes, I guarantee it. And he walks over and Paul, I went, hello, mate, how are you doing? He goes, yeah, well, well oh, I suppose I've got a check this morning. I've got to get to London, but I've got no money. You ain't got a tenner on you, have you? Like that. And I just said, no, I haven't got anything on me at all. And he walked off like that. And blow it. how did you know? I goes, I just knew. You know, I just knew the, the behaviour, the patterns. So, yeah, and then when you saw, see that person in the pub kind of thing, the one who doesn't slow down, that's the seat. When you see someone, like, if you ever come, I don't, I don't know, I'm not going to question your drinking, but normally you've had a few drinks, you know you've had enough, don't you? Mm. Sort of thing. An alcoholic will be the one that goes, I'll stay for one more. She'll get another bottle of wine in. The, the, the one that always, you know, and if you're in a restaurant and they want to, then everyone's going, they'll go to someone like-minded, she fancy another couple of, and they'll go off and have a few more. That's the ones you look at. Yeah. You know, that's the ones. And, um, if you wake up and you feel like that, this feeling of dread that you've done or what you've done the night before or who you've upset, then you've probably got a problem. If, it, if you've done it once, that's fine. We've all done it. If you do it repeatedly, you know, people who've had geographics, that's another one. People that sudden move into areas. Do you know what I mean? They, they, they're very good at moving. I mean, my, my ambition when I was drinking was just to disappear, move away, disappear, and start afresh. That's a year, like sort of like no baggage. And then the baggage suddenly happens again, and you move off. And see, so they always think it's um, problems. You know, what they don't realise that the, the problems aren't followed, they are the problem. You know, and you know, I've, I've got a, a newer girl that had moved 22 times to make herself happy we shouldn't realise that she was the one that was unhappy yeah so it's kind of them kind of things it's hard to pinpoint it's like when sometimes gay guys go he's gay you think really how you've got this inner vision do you know what I mean that's what it is our guest Paul. If you've suffered from any of the issues discussed on today's podcast, try the Samaritans. Samaritans.org or call 116-123. Make sure to follow us on Twitter. We're at mentally yours with YRS instead of yours at the end. If you haven't already, please subscribe to us on iTunes and give us a review. Thanks to our guest Paul McMullen for joining us here in Bills in West London. Our producer is Sam Bonham with Lucy Baker on the tunes. Next week, we're speaking to Kate Lever, editor of my long list of bipolar buddies. Well, three people. See you then. I think it's really difficult to be, to feel as though you're capable of love um, when you're depressed. And I can understand why, when you're manic, why you would break up with someone because you're not thinking rationally and you're not necessarily entirely capable of taking into account another human being and their wants and needs and desires and their existence um, and I can see how how you would do that and how devastating it is and I think everything you just mentioned is really interesting because my instinct then and you probably even heard it was to laugh at some of the things you said because they're outlandish but so much of that behavior can be so dangerous I mean for instance when you thought you could breathe underwater imagine if you'd gone swimming to test that I mean it's a basic extreme danger of drowning
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.